Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord, and we thank you for everything you do for us. Uh, we thank you for this evening that we can come together and hear your word and uh, share our praise to you, Father. And um, I pray that you would be glorified this evening, and I pray that you would just uh, have your will and way in everything that's said and done. And uh, we ask that you'd uh, help us to glorify and honor you in everything that we say and do and think. In Jesus' name, amen. We all have to sing out really good and loud this evening because we're we're short in number, but uh, and I'm just short, so we'll we'll all sing out. Okay, uh, let's see uh, page five thirty seven. Page five thirty seven. Let's turn to uh, uh, 514, page 514.
say we have some fellowship time. Thank you all for being here tonight. Um, of course, we know that uh, Pastor and Miss Christie are uh, on vacation right now. So, um, of course, be in prayer for them. Um, I know that they are suffering great trials right now. Uh, so, we'll pray that the Lord uh, keeps them safe and helps them have a good time and get back safely. But uh, tonight, uh, we're going to be starting in Matthew 7. Uh, so if you want to start turning there, uh, later on we're actually going to be looking at a mirroring portion of Scripture in 2 Timothy. Um, so the message is going to kind of be split into two parts tonight. Uh, we're going to be reconciling two, I guess, seemingly contradictory philosophies that I think people can fall into based on different portions of God's Word. Um, the title of the message tonight is going to be Judging. And I guess just as a preface, uh, I, want, I, I will be trying to alliterate a little bit tonight. Uh, so I haven't done that before, but we'll be having two C's and three P's. So just in case you want to get your notes ready to go. Um, but uh, as we start here in Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 7. And you may or may not recognize Matthew 5 through 7 as a fairly popular portion of, of Scripture. Um, this is actually where Christ is preaching to a crowd during what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we're in a period of time when the Pharisees and the scribes were well known for sharing scripture directly 
and they did it in a manner of kind of hypocritical condescension uh, in order to elevate themselves and their own piety. Um, at this point here in Matthew 7, Christ is kind of getting to the end of his sermon, uh, and people are astonished at this point uh, because he's teaching with authority, uh, or in other words, he's teaching as the word itself and not just citing the word. Um, so remembering the time that we're in here, let's see what Christ has to say about judging here. Uh, so we're starting right at the very beginning in verse 1. It says, Judge not that ye be not judged, which I, I know we've all heard that before, right? That's kind of cited. Uh, we'll talk about that. But it says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote that is uh, the mote out of thy brother's eye. So we can see here something that is very commonly cited by both Christians and non-Christians. Uh, that phrase, judge not that ye be not judged. Um, this is seemingly pretty self-explanatory. But one thing that I'm afraid of is that I think too often we tend to take this out of context, um, which is sad here because the context is so important. So tonight I'd like to start by putting the phrase kind of back into context. So let's take a look at the reasons Christ gave us to not judge. So this is our first C. Uh, first, we condemn ourselves. So it says there, For what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So first here, he speaks about what judgment is. So when you judge, you are basically stating an objective fact about the sinfulness of an action. And even if you're stating the sinfulness of, an, of someone else's sin, so not even your own sin, if you're stating the, the sinfulness of someone else's sin, when you state that sin is sin, you are pointing out that out for everyone who commits that sin, including yourself. Uh, it seems that seems there was the habit in this day, in, in, in the day of uh, Jesus, um, whenever he was here on earth, that... Uh, you know, just like there is now, to take yourself out of the light of judgment when you judge other people. Uh, and, they would, and, you not, and you don't realize that when you place condemnation on other people, you can't do it without judging yourself. Um, and so, you know, now we're in a culture that um, emphasizes the importance of, the, of any action to the extent that uh, evil and sin are celebrated with their own holiday this time of year. And just as Satan was tempted, or just as Satan tempted Christ with short excerpts of Scripture after his 40 days in the wilderness, we are tempted by the world with portions of Scripture uh, like what we just looked at. They say the Bible says, uh, well, hang on a second. I was going to say, I think I may have my pages mixed up here. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. So going back, so we're talking about that when you judge others, you do condemn yourselves, okay? Um, and so without judging yourself, um, you, when you judge other people, you do end up judging yourself as well. 
Um, up to this point in Matthew 5 uh, through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ was already been preached, um, had already preached that the intentions of the heart are as worthy of being weighed in judgment as a person's actions. And you can get the impression here that while the Pharisees and scribes were great at appearing pious and holy on the outside, their hearts were just as wicked as all the people they were judging. And of course, before we start judging the actions of the Pharisees, we need to realize that we do exactly the same thing. Um, when we see people partaking in sin, we need to be careful to realize that um, we need to not pass judgment so easily, given the fact that the only reason that we have any righteousness in and of ourselves or in us is because of what Christ has done, um, both in the past and what He's doing right now. And so we need to be again easy, uh, careful to not easily pass judgment on others while condemning our own selves uh, or of the sins that we either have committed in the past or uh, you know even the evil imaginations of our heart. So, again, the first reason that um, Christ gives us that we should not judge is because we condemn ourselves. Um, the second reason, this is our second C, uh, is that um, the, sin, the sin that's in our lives confounds our ability to help others. And so here in verse 3, uh, it says, And why, why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam that is in thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. So before we go to correcting the sins of other, that are in others' lives, we need to carefully examine our own lives um, for that same sin, just as I mentioned before. Um, now, I wanted to give another example here in God's Word that talks about judgment in this similar manner. Uh, if we look over what Paul said over in Romans, uh, if you turn to Romans 2, um, he kind of gives a little bit of uh, additional insight here into what Christ was saying. So Romans 2, 1 through 11, it says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. There's no excuse. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, just like Christ said. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the tr to truth against them which commit such much against such uh, is according to truth against them which commit such things. So the judgment of God is not according to any position or stature or who you are or where you are, it's according to truth. Um, and that's it. It's according to truth. Um, and thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Because that's clearly what, they're what, what you think whenever you think you can judge someone and not be judged yourself for that same thing. Um, you think that you can somehow escape the judgment of God. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? So he's saying here, once you're saved, you go out and you kind of judge other people for these sins that Christ has saved you from, and you forget the fact that, again, the reason that we don't commit those sins, the reason that we're able to overcome those sins is because of the work that Christ has done in us. Um, there in verse 5, But after thy, thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up 
unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to every man according to his deeds? Remember, God has said, judgment or vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Um, verse 7, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for, the, for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. He points that out there just again to say, God doesn't respect persons, and that's what we'll see here in a second. Uh, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respecter of, or there is no respect of persons with God. Again, God's not a respecter of persons. That means that God doesn't look at you based on who you are. Uh, he looks at you the same as he looks at everyone. So Paul is essentially pointing out the same thing here. He got to the heart of the Pharisees' misconception. Um, they had it in their minds that because they lived this holy life as Pharisees, that God was not going to think of their sin in the same way as he would think of that of lower people of society or that of Gentiles. Um, but Paul kind of sets them straight here. He says, there is no respect of persons with God. Now, as we see these portions of Scripture, something that is really easy to do is to go to the other extreme of the spectrum of, um, you know, from hypocritical judgment all the way to the other side of universal tolerance of sin. Um, and this is where I kind of skipped ahead in a second ago, but we live in a culture now that emphasizes the importance of the acceptance of any action whatsoever, um, even to the extent that uh, evil and sin in so many ways are celebrated. Uh, and now, you know, they even have their own holiday this time of year, uh, which is nothing new. This is something that's been going on for a long time, that sin is celebrated by the world. Um, and, you know, Satan, just as Satan tempted Christ with, you know, short excerpts of scriptures um, after his 40 days in the wilderness, we are tempted by the world with portions of scripture uh, like what we just looked at today. You know, the phrase, judge not that ye be not judged, that phrase is kind of plucked out of scripture and used on its own out of context. Um, they say the Bible says, judge not, and many Christians become silent and afraid to speak against sin for fear of disobeying God's commandments. Um, they, they just don't simply, they simply don't fully understand what Christ was saying there. So as we look back at this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, notice that Christ does not just say, don't take any motes out of your brother's eyes, just leave it there, right? He doesn't say, ignore everybody's sin, just leave them alone. Um, he challenges, to do, challenges us to do something even harder, but so much more important. He states we are supposed to help our brothers with their sin, but only after addressing the sin in our own lives. And in this, of course, we can see why we have had, been so happy to just stop there at don't judge. Um, because the full process that he describes here is so much harder uh, than even taking time to judge others. Because if we follow his full admonishment here, he, it actually involves judging ourselves. And this is a difficult and just disgusting thing to do, to look at the sin in our lives. Now, to further explain this point, uh, we're going to move on to our mirroring reference over in 2 Timothy. So let's turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
And we're going to start right there at the beginning of the chapter. So 2 Timothy 4, right in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 5. It says, I charge thee, therefore, before God, and of course this is Paul talking to Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. There's that vacuum there of not having the input of God's word. And the natural tendency of man is to fill that void with anything but God. And that's where you can, uh, they'll, they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Again, they'll make up anything that they can to get away from what God's word says. Um, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So you can kind of think of this scripture as the mirror of what Christ has said. Um, we were told before not to judge and as we are condemning ourselves, and now it seems at least on the surface that Paul could be telling Timothy the opposite, right? He's telling them uh, to reprove, rebuke, exhort. Well, let's take this apart just a little bit, and we'll see what it's really saying here. So he starts uh, here saying, I charge ye therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. So he kind of sets up here that God is the judge, not us. Um, and he's going to judge everyone, both past and present, the quick and the dead. That's the alive and the not alive. And what's the first thing that he tells us to do? Well, there are three things here, and they all start with a P. Or at least they will start with a P. Uh, the first thing is preach the word. So why do you think that it is that we're to start with preaching the word? Well, remember here, the, remember that therefore we saw before? You remember there, what's therefore, therefore? Let's see what therefore is therefore. We're going to turn right back to the end of chapter 3. And we'll see what uh, Paul said at the end of chapter 3. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So as we preach the word and share the word, we are sharing what is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. For what purpose? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That is, again, why we share with others, that what we share with others should be God's word. First and foremost, because anything we have to say in and of ourselves or of the wisdom of this world just falls flat next to what God has already given us, that heavenly wisdom. Um, so what's the second thing he tells us to do? So the second thing he tells us to do is to prepare ourselves. He says there, the, you know, the next thing he says there is that we should be instant in season and out of season. And so let's take a look at what those words mean. So the word instant, that's the word ephistemi, and it means basically to be actively, presently ready at a moment's notice. You can kind of think about it like, you know, you've heard the phrase ready, set, go. It's like that set, okay? It's 
even beyond ready, it's set. Um, when the Holy Spirit leads us to do something, we should not be found down and out or on the sidelines or anywhere else, but right there ready to go when the Holy Spirit's ready for us. So that's what that instant means. Um, in season is the word eukairos, and it means when it's convenient. So when you're in a great place in life and you're perfectly set up to do God's will, when you're rested, your belly's full, you're on a spiritual mountaintop, that's what he's talking about. Be instant during that season. And that kind of makes sense, right? But he also says they're out of season. Out of season is the word akairos. So you may know from different fields of science, you means um, true, and a means not. So kairos is readiness. So akairos is the opposite of in season. It's when you're worn out, you're just done with people, done with the day, you're tired and hungry, you're in the valley. You're supposed to be instant in that season too, or in, the out of, in that out of season time. And so basically, when you think about what this encompasses, he's, basic, he's telling us here that we should be constantly prepared to share the gospel and to do God's will at every point in our lives, both on the mountaintops and in the valleys. When we feel like it and when we don't, whether we're at church or behind the person at the grocery store and the 20 items or less line and they have 50 items, um, we should be ready to be used by the Holy Spirit whether we're at home, comfortable, on the sofa, at work, in the hospital, in the drive through in line somewhere, with our friends, with our enemies, at any point, you should have that close walk with the Lord and the Holy Spirit so you're ready to be used. And that's what he means here whenever he says in season, out of season. It's kind of all-encompassing. So, as we preach the word and we're ready at all times, what should we be ready to do with the word? Well, that brings us to our third point here. We're to perfect one another. So we're to perf perfect one another. Uh, and remember what he says for us to do here after saying preach the word. He says again to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. These three words here do have different meanings. So reprove has the idea of pointing out something that's wrong. Okay. Rebuke is to specifically discourage wrongdoing. So not just pointing it out, but to discourage wrongdoing. And exhort is to encourage to do right. Now this sort of sounds an awful lot like judging, doesn't it? When we think about that judging back before. Well, I think we have to be careful to recognize that there is a difference. And I think the difference here lies primarily in motivation. Um, when we judge, we're simply passing our assessment of what condemnation is due a person for the purpose of seeing both the sin and the sinner punished. For the crime that's been committed. So we're kind of judge jury, you know, judge jury, this is the way it's going to be because this is what God's word says. And, you know, taking God's place in judgment of, um, you know, that condemnation. But when we reprove, rebuke, and exhort, we are doing it for the purpose that we saw there in verse, or chapter 3, verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And how does he say... Uh, to do these things so just like God does as he shapes our life um, he says with all long suffering and doctrine so anytime that you intervene in a situation where you see sin you cannot truly say that you're exhorting someone or reproving or rebuking someone if you ever do it hastily or whenever it comes from your own opinions about what should or should not be going on 
if you're doing it in a long-suffering way, using God's word, that's when you can appropriately reprove, rebuke, and exhort someone. Uh, and as a last note of admonishment here, he also uh, goes on to tell, give us instructions, not, you know, not only give us instructions about what to do, but he gives, gives Timothy an example here or an ex- explanation as to why he should be doing these things right now. And that's because, he says, for the time shall come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So they're not even going to tolerate sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch, you, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry." See it to the very end. So he specifically tells Timothy to be active now because at the end times, as the end times draw near and near, we, are, we will lose those opportunities that we once had to reach people um, as they are ready to receive the truth or even tolerate the truth. That's now more than later because every second that passes, that endurance of sound doctrine is going to diminish, as he was telling Timothy here. Um, Paul also spoke similarly to other believers in Hebrews, um, and that's what I'd like you to leave, to leave you with tonight. So let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to go close to the end of the chapter there in Hebrews, verse 22. He says there in Hebrews 10, 22, and he's talking to Um, fellow believers here. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us gather together because we have that full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. You know, Christ told us in the Great Commission that we can have faith that we can do these things because all power is given to him. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says in verse 24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We're to drive each other to love one another and to, to love as Christ loved and to do those good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Again, there's that word exhorting. Exhorting one another and so much the more as he see the day approaching. So this was not an instruction specifically to Timothy. This is an instruction to all believers that this is what we're to be doing. We're supposed to be exhorting one another uh, to these good works. So again, remember that we must be careful about taking God's place in judgment because we can we condemn ourselves and confound ourselves because we stumble in the same way in the same sins that we judge others for. And as we do seek to confront the evil that's around us, we should do it by preaching the word preparing ourselves constantly, and perfecting each other in love. So would you all please stand with me tonight? So um, I'm going to begin playing the piano here in just a minute, but I'd like to encourage you to look at your own lives in the light of God's word um, as he's revealed it to us. Um, Are there any areas of sin in your life that are preventing you from being able to help others and an encouragement and, and to help others and encourage others around you? 
Or is there anyone that you have judged harshly without being that you know long-suffering in a way um, that was not thoroughly, or in a way that was not thoroughly doctrine-driven uh, through God's word? Or have you failed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort those around you as the Bible tells you? Um, I would encourage you to come come tonight and ask God to help you. Commit yourselves to being ready in season and out of season. And for anyone who doesn't know Christ as your Savior, tonight is the night. You can see here that the only hope that you will not become hardened to God's calling for you and to spend an eternity in hell is to come now and ask him to save you before it's too late. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we come before you tonight and we pray, Lord, that you would just give us that victory over sin in our lives. I pray, Father, that if there's any... Uh, portion of our hearts that's not fully dedicated to you or if there is any sin that we hold on to father that we would give that up and mortify that uh, sin sinful nature father and uh, allow you to do that work in us i pray father that you would um, strengthen us and and help us to be bold enough that we are able to rely on the holy spirit to guide us in in that rebuking and reproving and exhorting of one another and i pray lord that that would be done in love and that uh, your holy spirit would have his way father and um, we ask now that you would just uh, work in hearts, Father, and that your, your will would be done. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for all being all for being here tonight. Um, can we have a couple of men come up for tonight's um, offering? Um, as far as announcements tonight, I don't have anything prepared here. Does anybody have any announcements to share? Yes. Okay, so Friday night, October twentieth, is going to be the family fun night. Um, do we need to know any details about that as far as things to bring or? Okay, be here. I think that's it. So be here Friday, October 20th. Yeah, more information to come. Anybody else? Oh, yes. Um, there is certain information that should have been shared with you, and you ha if you haven't received it for the sake of this being recorded, um, you can see those involved. How is that for vague? Okay. Um, anybody else? Um, all right. So, Brother Josh, could you ask for a prayer?
Before we leave this evening, does anybody have any uh, prayer requests? So I'll ask you to pray for us. We're going to be leaving on Saturday to Ecuador, um, me and Evelyn and Jane. Um, and so just pray for us that um, the Lord would protect us from Zika uh, and all the other things that can befall people in Ecuador. And uh, most importantly, more importantly than that, that um, he would do a great work there in uh, the local people and in the uh, students and in us, and um, that uh, his will will be done. Yes. Okay. Okay, so pray for, yeah, so pray for Miss Jennifer. Um, she's got some neck pain and a headache and has a lot of work to do tonight, so pray for her headache especially. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so pray for Pastor and Miss Christie and uh, that the Lord would divert those storms for them. Anybody else? Also pray for my dad, uh, Roger. Um, he's going into the hospital today to be started on a medication. Uh, it can be a very dangerous medication, but it's help to help control his heart rate. And uh, he'll be having, Lord willing, a, um, a procedure in February to have his heart, um, it's called an ablation, where they uh, kind of zap a part of the heart to keep it from going out of rhythm. Um, ultimately, we pray that the Lord would just heal him and that he wouldn't have to undergo any of that. So. Um, but we asked it for healing for my dad. Yes. So Bill Baker, uh, Suzanne's uncle, and he, he's been told that he has three months to live. And, of course, the most important thing is his salvation. All right. Anybody else? Brother Greg. All right. 
All right, anybody else? All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Our Heavenly Father, um, we come before you now uh, and uh, with, to make our petitions known unto you uh, with nothing wavering, Father, as we ask for your intercession in these things. We pray for Miss Jennifer, uh, for her neck and for her headache, Father. Um, I know that it's difficult to get things done anyway, but you know, let alone when you have a, a bad headache. So I pray, Lord, that you just uh, take her headache away even now, Father. Um, and we also pray for um, Brother Greg, who's not feeling well tonight. I pray that you would just give him rest and uh, recovery. And um, I also pray for um, Suzanne's, uh, Miss Suzanne's uncle, uh, Bill Baker. We know that he's only got a few months to live. Um, and I pray, Father, that before the end that you would um, just give him the, uh, the blessing of salvation. If he doesn't already have it, Father, I pray that you give him that reassurance of salvation. And um, I also pray for, um, for uh, my dad, Roger, that you would um, heal him, Father, that you would help this next few days to go well, that's in the, that he's in the hospital. I pray that uh, there'd be no problems with the medication and that it would work and that you'd just give him recovery and build him back up, Father, um, in every way. And I also pray for our trip here to Ecuador in a few days. I pray that you keep us safe as we go down, and I pray that your will would be done and we, able to, we would be able to see your hand at work and that uh, many would be saved, both of the locals and also of the students, Father. And um, I also pray for uh, Pastor and Miss Christie as they're... Um, as they're gone, I pray that you would keep them safe, help them to have a good time and keep the storms away from them, Father, and I pray that you'd help them to come back refreshed. I pray, Lord, now as we go out, um, that we would um, continue to be uh, diligent in your word and that we would be uplifting and uh, encouraging in every way for each other and um, that we would let your light so shine that uh, others would see uh, our good works and glorify you, Father. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.